We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers uh, flex their muscle against the Houston Rockets in back-to-back games, moving to 9-3 and overall, best record in the NBA, 6-0, and best start on uh 6-0 and on the road which is the best start since the 80s right and, and one of the best starts for a lakers team of all time this game had two real signature moments right one of course was the lebron corner three where dennis Schroeder gets up and you know talks a little bit of shit and then lebron lets it fly and turns around mid-flight like steph and the bench goes nuts right and it's it's awesome to see some of that chemistry developing and bogle spoken of that and i'm sure we'll get to that if not in this pod and in a pod very soon right about how the chemistry developing is part of this process uh but the other one was in the third quarter, LeBron, we're up by 20-something. LeBron's on the uh, right-hand sideline. And it's that period of the game where the Lakers are up. The Lakers know they're going to win. The Rockets know the Lakers are going to win. And they're kind of playing out the string. But Sterling Brown's putting some ball pressure on LeBron. Picks him clean. Anthony Davis has not come all the way back up court. And Sterling Brown dribbles up, raises up for like a right-handed dunk, and 80 swats it. And the camera from the opposite baseline zooms into AD's face and AD looks disgusted and offended that Sterling Brown would even try such a a thing. Darius, it reminded me of, this doesn't happen in the NBA that often, but in like high school ball or even college ball, you know, those teams at the beginning of a college basketball season where Chick used to call it, you know, the, the Lakers couldn't beat the sisters of mercy, right? Some Kentucky will schedule some very small school and beat them like 81 to 22. And very rarely does basketball look like that in the NBA. The Lakers flirted with some stretches, man, where it was like, oh, they the Rocks don't look like they belong on the floor with them. And this was a team that was, what, sixth in offensive rating? And the Lakers, Darius, on the defensive end specifically, what, what did you see, man? They smothered these guys man they dominated the rockets um i don't know if they took it personal if it was ad mike you know i saw your walk off with him after the first rockets win um or win over the rockets on sunday night and i don't know if it was ad sort of just taking more ownership and guys following his lead i don't know if it was sort of just this collective idea of 
all right, like enough is enough. And AD led the way with that. It's probably a combination of all of that stuff, right? But these guys, the Lakers, when I say these guys, they just decided, you know what? We're going to start paying more attention and we're going to start playing with more effort. You obviously highlighted the two big plays from the game. There was a random play that is going to stick with me from this game that no one's going to remember. But when I was watching the game, I, I made a little mental note about it. Eric Gordon had gotten a steal and he looked like he was going to be able to break away and get an easy layup. Now, I think this was in the second quarter. The Lakers were already up big, but there's still plenty of time left in this game, right? And, and any sort of basket or momentum shift is possible still at this stage. Eric Gordon's got a beat and, and Mark Gasol is maybe a step ahead or even with Eric Gordon, but that's Eric Gordon. He's a guard. And Mark Gasol, as I called him last pod, is a brontosaurus, right? And, and so Mark Gasol got on his horse and he sprinted in order to cut the angle for Eric Gordon and just make him think twice that this big dude is going to close on him in the open court. So Eric Gordon gets past half court. He still looks like he might test it. And then he slows up. Gasol runs all the way to the paint. Gordon pulls back. He shoots an open three and he misses. In that moment, I thought to myself, these dudes care again. They care about getting every possible defensive stop. They care about making the right play. And that's a small, almost insignificant moment within the bigger picture of 96 minutes in which the Lakers dominated the Rockets. But to me, it signified a bit of an identity, not shift, but an embracing of what this team wants to be, right? Which is a dominant defensive team. And for a guy like Gasol, who probably runs a 6.140, right, at this stage of, of his life, to sort of get on his horse and say, no, no easy layups for you. This may be a transition play. This may look like, like a breakaway. I'm not going to give it up freely. It, it was sort of the embodiment to me of this shift towards, all right, we're getting this thing in gear. Mike, was there any sort of thing that stood out to you from just look like playoff opponent potentially like these guys just met a couple of months ago in the bubble message sending anything from your end no honestly i uh, actually I, i'm gonna i'm gonna probably this will sound a little negative uh think talking about houston in fact and so I, i'm gonna take a little bit less out of these two games um than some might but i don't i i wouldn't change any of what I said, or what you guys said about last game, this still to me was about AD uh, locking in defensively and everybody else kind of following that lead. That's the simple point of it. And the LeBron play with shooter, it was just fun. Like that's what basketball is supposed to be. Uh, it's it's fun. And the fact that he did it is just, and he hit the shot. It, it, it's, you got to watch all the angles on it. And it's not hard to find. You can go on, I think any of our Instagrams or Twitter and, and listen to LeBron explain it. Afterwards, listen to Shooter. Look at how Shooter's got the mask on and everything, but like, look at how sort of gleeful he is when he describes it. So that's all fun. But now back to throwing a little water. So if you listen to to, and I'm sure you didn't get a chance to, not you guys, but people generally listening. If you listen to James Harden talk after last game, oh boy, he just wasn't he just wasn't locked in at all. He 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 sleepwalked through these two games. And that's the biggest reason why it was super easy for the Lakers. On top of the fact that they came ready, they came prepped to play, AD took it up a level, but Houston was an absolute mess. And they're also, aside from being from the whole Harden thing, then you have John Wall who made some comments about how if everybody's not on board, we're not going to go anywhere. So I think that these games for Houston were almost lost the second that they saw that the Lakers were engaged when they could have played, they could have made a game of this. They could have played much better, much harder. So I think the Lakers have to be careful not to assume that it's going to be that easy. And guess what? Oklahoma City, for as little talent as they have right now, they play hard. And they they will come at a totally different speed. And so this is one of those weird kind of trap games, I think, for the Lakers on Wednesday totally night. They're going to have to play against the Thunder where – wait, there's no talent over there. We don't really have to guard these guys. And then all of a sudden, Hamadou Diallo is just barreling down the lane for his fifth layup in the first half. That, that's the kind of, and then the Lakers have to think, wait a second, 
we just smacked Houston, who we saw in the second round of the playoffs. And and so that that's the that's the only element I think that I haven't heard a lot about this morning that that, that we should be considering is that yes, the Lakers are clearly the best team and they're in a tier by themselves. They just flexed, but be careful what you saw in Houston because that's a lot to do with Houston and not just the Lakers. And that's that's a totally fair point. I do think that the last couple of games against the Lakers, like one of the things that John Wall spoke to was the Lakers chemistry versus the Rockets chemistry. And I think that where Houston was at before these two games and where they are after these two games, the Lakers showed a propensity in last year's playoffs for breaking team spirit. Right now, obviously, Houston's problems far precede the Lakers, but this was the type of two game stretch where. Mike, you always talk about this. Whenever a team plays the Lakers, the Lakers are a measuring stick. And especially when we're good, right? And we're the defending champs. So whenever you play either the Lakers or the defending champs, you're going to really show out. And Lakers are both. And so when you go up against the defending champs and you don't even look in their class, because I thought I thought Houston really competed in the first game. Uh, and at, at least in the first in the first part of that before we pulled away um, in, in that second quarter. And that I think that we kind of helped to break their spirit to, to get to this point, because you see in that measuring stick type, stick type of game that they're not really in that in that class. And to me, this team, Darius, this Lakers team is about it's not really about our opponent because the thing that I wanted to see was defensively, can we shut the water off? Can we shut the faucet off? And when you are maybe a little dispirited, that tends to show up more on the defensive end. The Rockets have a lot of talented offensive players, even Harden shooting step backs and right. It's Harden. Harden is uh, sleepwalked through a good portion of both of those games. Mike's absolutely right. And that makes a huge difference, but they've got, other talented guys on that end. It was the first time this season, these two games where the Lakers really looked like it wasn't just that they were missing. They couldn't get shots up Darius. Like this was a a high caliber NBA team that these are desperation attempts with two seconds left on the shot clock because you weren't able to create advantage the whole possession. Yeah. I think both things are true with what Mike is saying. Like, Mm -hmm. so Harden is so important to them. And if he's not engaged and if he's not looking to be as aggressive as he normally would be, things can fall apart pretty quickly for them. Right. Um, So I think that him not playing to the level, at least from a competitive standpoint, that he would need to, to to sort of grease the wheels for the rest of the team makes things infinitely harder for them just as for, for them to reach their sort of ground floor, right? If they're starting from the basement, then there's no elevator service now. They are taking the stairs in order to get up there. And Harden has the ability to put them in the elevator and say, oh, all right, like let's go up to the second or third level here at least and raise everyone else up with them. That said, the Lakers' defense and their intensity on that end surely contributed to Harden's disengagement as well i think it's a little bit of both and when it is a little bit of both you start to see 30 point leads in the first half and second half and that idea of this team is nowhere close right and i think after the game mike to speak to your point about harden's comments harden for all the like oh houston's choked or like in the playoffs like their playoff narrative right Harden's been on a team that was quite close to being a championship team, right? Like they took those Warriors teams to basically as far as they could go, like without there being injuries in play, right? Obviously the Raptors beat those Warriors. Harden knows what a really good team looks like. And he got eliminated by one the season before, and he's been on a team that could have won an NBA championship. And so when he's basically saying, we're nowhere close, he knows what he's talking about there. Now, some of that is also, well, I don't really want it with these guys. And so that contributes to them not being close at all, too. The question that I sort of have for you guys is, do you think this is a blip for the Lakers? 
in terms of them, like Pete said, sort of shutting off that faucet for opponents and this sort of sustained effort that they showed over two games? Or do you think that this was more of a do we have it in us? And yes, we do. And now it's time to relax a little bit more and take your foot off the gas. So my my thinking is they've known that they've had a higher level to reach. And that's mostly because of Anthony Davis and also LeBron. Like LeBron has been great this season, but he's got an extra level. So they know where they can get to. They're much more concerned about the lineups they're using, the rotations on getting Gasol integrated, getting shooter, all of those things. But I think there's a there's been a very clear confidence in this group. And they think they're better. And I think they know they're better. And this two-game stretch with Houston was to me more and this will be, I'll reiterate a little bit what I said before and, and try to do it in a slightly different way. Since James Harden was on the floor, they still had the Lakers' attention. And so when they when they went into that building, you got the, not their total A game, but at least close to it. The, like the Lakers were there to play for it. And Pete, I know you, you mentioned this and you were right. Like Houston did play compete a little better, especially in the first half of the first game. But they're, you know, James Harden, his the comments that he's making are self-serving because he wants to get out of there. And I think by they could be more competitive than they were if he were mentally engaged, not just the way he's physically engaged in the court. So that's still where I'll take I won't take too much away. But I also thought the Lakers were the best team in the league before the, these two games. And I also thought that they had that level to reach to. So it is a both things can be true narrative for me, Pete. So maybe um maybe you can you can break that down in a different way. But yeah, I'm just I'm still not taking too much out of this other than we knew AD was going to get fully engaged at some point. Now he is. And now they're they're as we thought, still the best team in the league. For me, it's more about the Lakers than I know what it, what great defensive rotations look like. Right. And if you're playing a team that's in disarray or a team that's really sharp, being able to bump rotate where it's like, oh, you're going to X out to the the corner. You're going to go from the elbow, close out to the corner. The guy that's down, uh, down low is going to close out to the wing. And we were doing that. We were operating on our shell drill specifically better than we have all season. And then just seeing with AD, his uptick in defensive playmaking, that's a big part of, of this team's identity, right? Last year were the bigger, faster, stronger Lakers. For me, this is it's that NFL defense that forces a lot of turnovers and a lot of and AD is right at the top of that. Um, we had 20 plus steals plus blocks stocks in back to back games against Houston. And part of that for sure is lack of engagement. But a, a great part of that is the rotation guys getting to spots because we were playing the Bulls. We were playing plenty of teams that Memphis, the Spurs, plenty of teams that aren't particularly good where we struggled defensively. And and so, yeah, a big part of, of that was the Lakers, uh, what the Lakers are doing. I do think, Darius, that this is the start of something. I think that we're now 12 games into the season. It's not going to be just due to the nature of an NBA season. It's not going to be one of those things where – Every single night, we're not going to have an off night or anything like that. But I think that we're starting to kind of knock the dust off. And it was good to see when the Lakers wanted to put their foot on the gas, they were able to do that because from watching multiple defending champions, sometimes when teams go to access that, it gets harder and harder the more years into a, a what I think could be a dynastic run with this Lakers team. The more years go by, the harder it is to kind of get the engine going. And so seeing them being able to do it on command this early was exciting. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, want to talk about, uh, Mike pointed out the lineups, right? And that we're really trying to figure out lineups and rotations. Vogel's been doing something lately that's really caught our attention. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about that. If you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. That's bwhustle.com backslash. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily Instant Karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instant Karma to 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma Money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com backslash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Join. We've talked a lot about how that end of first quarter, end of third quarter lineup in particular um, has had struggled. And uh, the bench units with this team, even though the starters have been doing very well, bench units have been still tr- trying to kind of find their way. The Lakers have been playing lineups without Anthony Davis and LeBron James on the floor on purpose, and they've been very good. What was the stat you told me before we started the podcast? Yeah, so this is something I've been looking into a little bit over the last week or so, and I'm still waiting to get more data on this. We're so early in the season, but the stat pete is that with both lebron and ad off of the floor and this is a stat from cleaning the glass um ben falk's site and just as a little background the way that ben keeps the stats is that he filters out garbage time and so he only filters out for the fourth quarter of garbage time and some of these games the lakers have been playing garbage time and it's not in the fourth quarter, there have been some third quarter and even second quarter garbage time minutes. But in giving all of those caveats, the Lakers are plus 12.5 net rating when both LeBron and AD are off of the court. Now, they're still not scoring very well. Offensive rating of 100.9, but their defensive rating has been 88.5, basically, during that stretch. And... It's something that bears watching for me because if the Lakers can continue to look, all I'm looking for is whenever LeBron and or AD are off the court, I'm mostly looking to see if those units can tread water. Even if LeBron is on the court and AD is off, can you tread water? When AD is on, but LeBron is off, can you tread water? Because if you can... When LeBron and AD are on the court, the Lakers are a dominant team. They're like plus 18.6 net rating or something like that. It's a ridiculous number through 12 games. And they're going to basically slaughter teams whenever LeBron and AD are on the court. Most teams, I should say. 
So for Vogel to purposefully say, you know what, we're going to find a stretch each game where neither LeBron nor AD are on the court and we feel comfortable playing lineups that way. And if those groups can tread water, the Lakers are really an unbelievable team, basically. And this goes back to, I tweeted this out in all caps because I was quite excited during the game last night, but I tweeted out three through eight. And it goes back to that podcast that we had about the Lakers talent behind LeBron and Anthony Davis. And we made a big deal about how we thought that those players, right, with the rest of the rotation, basically, and Mike, you rightly extended it to three through 11, right, because of how deep this this Lakers team team goes, but that these guys can play. And so if they're going to be able to hold or even build on leads, and whether it's driven by offense or driven by defense, I honestly do not care. If these units can continue to produce, I think that they've got something special on their hands, Pete, in terms of what their ceiling is as a group. Well, any unit, almost any unit at least, in the NBA can be a plus with the right type of confidence and mindset. And I thought last year was somewhat of a disappointment that there wasn't a group that could galvanize and say, hey, we don't need LeBron or AD in this unit. We can still be a plus. And part of that to me is just Rondo, that he would have been the guy that could have led a unit that could have been a plus unit. And he just wasn't really ready to do it in the regular season. He certainly could have in the postseason the way that he was playing. This year, you add, even if it's just a shooter, although you know he hasn't been in some of those units, or it's, it's Kuzma taking a step up in confidence, or it's Caruso with a step up in confidence, or it's certainly Harrell, you know, who has led plus bench units without the two stars by just being aggressive and by giving you an option at the rim. They have well more than enough talent to be a plus. They don't, especially in a regular season. And one of the, the avatars I always think about for this is that Phil Jackson would almost never stagger. I shouldn't say almost never. He would often not stagger stars and he would just let bench units ride. And it would be Farmar and Shannon Brown and Josh Powell and Sasha, you know, not like DJ Benga, not the most talented groups in the league, but they had a little bit of swag to them. They knew they were playing. They knew that they were going to get shots. They knew that Kobe wasn't going to have necessarily come in and bail them out. And then they knew with five minutes left, Fish and Kobe and and Powell and Lamar, like we're going to come back in. And sometimes Lamar would play would be the guy that would stay with those units, but he was the sixth man, right? He was supposed to be on the bench. And there's there's absolutely no reason that, that this group this year, especially with knowing kind of how the Lakers want to play, shouldn't be able to give the Lakers a boost and not have everybody sitting there, oh, t- time to get LeBron or AD back in there. So I think that they should shift away from that mindset um, if possible. But, you know... I'm also not mad if LeBron or AD has some time with those units. It's just that I, I don't want to just try to, to – I don't want to be wowed by the fact that a Lakers unit that is probably more talented than a lot of benches they're going against is a plus in the game. You've got like head coach vibes in this pod, Mike. You get like, yeah, I'm I'm absolutely not impressed. Like, show me for show me for longer. I expect more of you guys. Of yeah. course, you're kicking ass. You should it, kick ass. I love it. Is, yeah, it's got it me a little hyped. It may be as simple as I am a night owl and we decided to choose this in the morning. So I may just be a little bit more ornery uh, in the morning. Like it may I, usually, like at night, I'm all philosophical. I'm good. <laughs> I've my thoughts for that day. I'm like, Pete, what's the problem? Why are you going to go to bed angry? So I don't typically go to bed angry. <laughs> I do wake up angry. You wake up angry and you get happier <laughs> as the day goes on. I need to talk to you more about this. It seems like a good life philosophy. I like it. <laughs> um, yeah. So that speaks to the level of talent on this team is that – when most of the time when you've got two dead bang superstars, you can't do that, right? Like you've invested so much money, so many resources in those top two guys that having a, another five without with like half of your salary cap sitting on the bench to be able to still be a really, really high end unit. That's something that doesn't happen particularly often. And I love that you brought up those like 2009 teams because I was thinking the, the same thing, Mike, about these units in particular are playing well with speed. When you've got, I've loved that THT uh, AC combo. I think that they've got really complementary skill sets and they both are defensive playmakers and I, they, they can help get us out in transition. That's been one of the things that when those units are thriving, it's because they're converting defense to offense. And 
you know, those two Schroeder has played in some of those units. Uh, you've got Trez out there who is improving on the defensive end. Uh, he's, you know, they're finding more and more of a defensive role for him. Uh, what do you, what do you see on that front Darius with, with Trez in and just defensively? So we talked about this a little bit the last pod, but I think that Houston was a pretty good matchup for him. They run a lot of like dribble screens and handoff. They, they want to isolate more. He had a couple of really good defensive possessions in, in isolation against wings, right? Um, Houston sort of demands that you play higher up at the level of the ball in screen action. And I just thought his ranginess and his sort of burst as an athlete serves himself well in those types of of matchups. So I was nodding my head a lot when you were talking about they're finding a better role for him. Um, I thought Houston sort of brought that role more to the forefront is sort of why I was nodding along there. But you're right, man, like THT, Caruso, Coos, Harrell group, they've got a little bit of everything there, some size, some toughness, some defense, some scoring pop, enough guys who threaten to paint they've got a couple of unselfish passers i think caruso and keith like we talk a lot about caruso but i think keith's a a, a willing and good passer right like it, yeah, it's that's one of my favorite parts of his like game, it's yeah. not like it's this super strength of his but it's something that when you start to rattle off things that he does well for this team passing is probably up there for me um, he had the pass. He had that wraparound pass for the LeBron. Don't look three, right? Yeah, Which no, was, that was a. That's right, and that yeah. was a high level pass, Mike. Like yeah. the way that he spun out and then drove baseline and then whipped it around. Like though, that's a that's an impressive look. So, I'm with you, Mike. That this the Lakers do have talent. It is good for them to have high expectations of themselves to go out and compete. My thing is though is it's such a shift from last season and the reliance that the team has had on LeBron or AD to be drivers of productive five-man groupings has just been there for them, even with this season, because they still do stagger them a lot. But it's, it's why I'd love to get some thoughts from Vogel on this, because he seems to purposefully find a stretch of three to four minutes a game where it's just like, no, we're not going to stagger these guys here. We are going to purposefully leave these guys off. And that sort of confidence that he's showing in them is clearly driven by an idea of not only belief, but that he must see something there. And, and I would just want to like get more of his mindset around that. Yeah. That, so that's a good point. And I would, I would love to sit down and talk to Vogel with that also. And in that combo, I would ask him about last year because I just think they kind of conceded early in the season. And it's not that I think part of it is when you have two superstars and they are so great there, it, it became, it was a mentality within the team, within the film room, even that, Oh yeah. If we need these guys on the court, if we're going to survive. And, and I don't think they did. I don't think they did. There wasn't a look. They won the title. They were better than a lot of teams. A lot of teams had better bench units that didn't need a LeBron or an AD that didn't have near the talent. And they just played better together because they mentally believed that they could. And they had some experience together. And that's what the Lakers didn't have at all last year on their bench. They didn't have guys that had cohesion together. They didn't have guys that had spent much time playing together. And they they just they were sort of waiting and looking for when LeBron was going to check in. Or, I mean, I shouldn't even say that because it, it was so rare that they weren't in. So they just didn't, like, I, I just believe that was more of a mental thing than a talent thing. And it, and it worked because the round and AD stayed healthy and because they were so great. But that I'm, I'm, I would love it if they got away from that just as a mindset. And so, again, I, I hope I didn't just repeat the thing I said last time. Um, I just don't, like, that would be part of what I would, I, would, I think Vogel might acknowledge that as well um, if we talk to him about it. That's something I think that this year's I think we've got more guys who can play make a bit. I think Kuz has made some strides as a passer and as a drive and kick type of guy where in a unit like that, the thing that I saw last year. So first of all, the mentality, I think you're spot on with that. And I do think that's the primary reason. I also think that there's more shot creation. There's more 
guys who can kind of create it as by committee as opposed to have one guy in particular doing that and with um and so that more dispersed allows them to get out in transition they're able to swing the ball drive and kick and we talked a lot about last season's team being kind of a shapeshifter the the starting lineup is they're very they're big with mark out there they're not as fast now we are fast because we're fast as hell on the the backcourt but the speed by which that bench unit plays is an uptick and it's just a different style of play darius than that than the starters and so that ability to be a different type of team not just have a bench but like that those 2009 units that mike was talking about right those are they were very different than our test and bynum and like kind of these slower footed plotting guys and so when you got a different style of play out there very difficult to match up against no i was right when you said the sort of different style of play my mind instantly went to those 09 and 2010 teams right because those teams started so big bynum gasol um in 2010 it was our test um but even in 2009 with ariza and then kobe and then fisher right which it was more of a slow it down half court sort of guard right um but then you swap those guys out and it's farmar who's like a speedster right in more of the shrewder type type of player and sasha and like shannon brown and then maybe ariza would stay in with those guys and then it's odom and then it's powell and like even though powell wasn't like an athlete just a just those guys were different from Powell and Bynum in such a way. And, and with the guards sort of leading the way on that. Um, I also thought your point about skill sets was super important. One, one of the things that last year's Lakers team really lacked was a secondary shot creator. And the idea of always needing to have one of LeBron or Rondo on the court at any given give time was super important to them. And it is one of the reasons why I think that they staggered those groups the way that they did and always tried to keep one of them on the floor because, look, Rondo was going to play a lot of minutes with Anthony Davis. They obviously had a history together. Go, go win back to new Orleans. And if Rondo wasn't in the game, then LeBron was going to have to be in the game because there was no one else to take that lead ball handling role. Now you have, you not only have Schroeder and Braun, right? So shrewd Schroeder, you can approximate him to Rondo a little bit and those guys start now, but then you have THT, you have some Alex Caruso, you mentioned Kuzma, I would even jump in with uh, with Trez, right? Like just having a guy to throw the ball to Trez on the left block on any given possession and just clear out a side of the court. That's one possession where he's not necessarily a ball handler who's going to create much for others. I do like him as a passer a bit, but just like you can get good offense by just like give the ball to Trez. And that wasn't something you could do with Dwight or JaVale or the guys that were feeling that role last season. Well, even Gasol, right? Now, even if Gasol isn't part of these these lineups, some of the actions that the Lakers are incorporating now in into their offense to accommodate Gasol don't just go out the window because Gasol's not in the game. They're still going to use high ball reversals through Trez at the top of the key because they're not just going to abandon all of those actions because Gasol's not like not in the game, right? These are now functionally a part of their core offensive sets. And so having passing big men having more diversity within your offense might also allow some of these units to thrive in ways that they wouldn't have last season just based off the expansion of the playbook a bit it reminds me of our earlier season conversations about the just the the luxuries that this group has and how many different plays or ways they can go to how many different styles they can play how many different guys they can they can operate with and it's a it's something that we saw come to fruition against Houston. And I think that will that will sustain itself. And it, it's a the, the question more to me is sort of of the teams that they've haven't played as well against this season, who is going to really challenge them and who is going to have some lineups that they can't answer? And I don't think there is a team yet. I don't think they've seen a team yet. Like I get that the Clippers are, they're the best team that they've faced and they, they beat the Lakers, but that was such a unique night and the Lakers have played so clearly better since then. 
And I think that their lineup solutions that the, the Clippers would try to throw out there, which would include, you know, like a Baca Morris uh, at the at the four or five. That's not going to work against the Lakers. It's not it's not big enough. It's not it's it, they can't protect the rim against them. And if they go to Zubats, then they can manipulate that in other ways. So I'm um, I'm I'm already trying to get back to that big picture and, and look as the Lakers go through these next series of games here. Um, I'm fascinated to see if any of this evolves from the rest of the league. Yeah. So. On that point, I guess I'm I'm going to be pretty stagnant. I don't see anything aside from from injuries, of course, that are going that's going to put me by the time the playoffs start. Like, oh, I don't know if the Lakers have enough, right? Like, to me, the Lakers are the the clear favorite. The joy that I'm taking out of this season is seeing. I, I feel like like Vogel and LeBron and all of the the chefs on this team. There's so many ingredients to work with, and like there was one play where we went to timeout yesterday, Mike and. I saw Phil Handy talking to Trez and I'm like, what a, what a gift, right? What a gift. We've seen guys get better. Like KCP's gotten a lot better with the Lakers and uh, old, older players like Caruso's 25. Kuz has gotten better over this. La- player development doesn't stop. We've seen Anthony Davis get better. And so that process of seeing this team, the individuals improve, but also them start to coalesce around each other with a lot of count. Like Dennis Schroeder had a great game yesterday and he took nine shots. When was the last time Dennis Schroeder had a great nine shot game? He's always been so dependent on to create offense that that's just not really a scenario that he's been in. And so uh, seeing- uh, by the way, Pete, so Schroeder does his pregame and uh, practice workouts with Phil Handy also. So Fantastic. He only do right. so many players, but he's but Schroeder Schroeder's going to get better. You know, Phil Phil's the guy that's basically been working with the stars. You know, Kyrie and LeBron and um, maybe like on and on. So yeah, that's that's uh, it's a good look. Yeah, for man. What a what a gift! What a gift to have someone like Phil Handy on the bench and uh, seeing you know those moments like that corner three from LeBron where the bench goes nuts. You start to get little shades of last season. Mike, you've talked about the lack of juice from the fans not being there. I do think that actually helped in Houston. I think that having, you know, Laker fans in the stands helped there. But seeing the Lakers go through this process, Darius, of continuing to get better and continuing to stack like a new lineup here. Or, hey, this little trio, this ACTHT backcourt combo has a great mix of defense and playmaking and, and ball handling. These little things are starting to emerge. My question for you is, what do you think is next for this team in terms of development in a broad sense? Because we've seen them turn up the temperature defensively and really get back into that scrambling type of style. What are what are some of the next things that you're kind of keeping an eye out for to start to coalesce into a, a team that really knows how to play with each other? I think just more and more, man, like a player who has stood out to me the last week or so is Mark Gasol. Gasol, I had some concerns honestly, about how he looked very early in the season. Mike was very good at pointing out, look, man, the veteran guys, especially, we need to be patient with them. We need to be patient. And I think that that was prescient for Mike because the last week and a half, Gasol's looked so much better. And I started the pod talking about that play that he made against Gordon, but he was great against a guy who I thought was going to give him a bunch of problems in Christian Wood. And he was great against Wood. And Gasol's been steadily improving defensively. And I thought last game he did a really good job of just being a release valve offensively. Not necessarily like, oh, let's run a bunch of offense through Mark Gasol. I don't think that that's necessarily going to be his role with this team the way that it was with Toronto. I think he's he's going to be much more of, of a release valve guy. And I think the more that Gasol finds his footing in a bunch of different types of lineups, I think that the higher the ceiling gets for these Lakers. So, so him specifically and how well he's playing on both sides of the ball, I think is, is going to be a little bit of a barometer for me about where this team is, is going because as he ramps it up defensively and he was doing a bunch of rim protection and in weird ways, right? Like getting those flat footed blocks when a guy is bringing the ball up and all that he can bring 
in terms of the diversity of how he can impact a game. He's sort of the guy that I'm looking to as can things coalesce around his sort of skill set because he's sort of another foundational guy, even though he's not a superstar, if that makes sense. So uh, there are a couple things that I'm excited about with Gasol, but one thing that we probably haven't focused on as much as we could is offensively the stretch five element. It's just, it wasn't yeah. there last year. And you, you, we keep thinking about, okay, wait, why are the Lakers, you know, even more efficient this on, on offensive? Oh, wait, right. Sometimes they could get a little, it could get a little clogged last year. And if they weren't throwing those lobs over the top to JaVale and Dwight, then it was just kind of a waste to have that dunker spot guy there. And in this starting lineup, I think that's one of the reasons they're just destroying teams uh, a lot of times early is that Mark is at the top of the key and he can either, he can set a screen for LeBron just like JaVale or Dwight could. Then he pops out and the defense is like, oh wait, uh-oh. And then LeBron either has the straight path or, or, uh, or shooter has a straight path. And then if you kick it out, he can hit it. And if, and if not, you can kick it out and then he can just make a swing swing play or he can make a backdoor cut play or he can give the ball back to LeBron. It's just, it's endless, the possibilities that you can have with Mark. So um, Pete, can you touch on that specifically on the stretch five on how we haven't, the Lakers haven't even really maximized that because there's, and then there's one defensive point I'll make about Mark as well. Yeah. So that makes such a huge difference. I'm glad you brought that up because when you weren't getting those lobs to to JaVale in particular, talking about having those bodies in the dunker spot, it's two more guys down there. And I've noticed that LeBron AD pick and roll when they choose to go to it is much more effective this season than it was last year, in part because you've got Mark at the top of the key, right? And even if he's not initiating offense from there, just the threat that he is from there, I've really liked in the last couple of games, he's looked for his own shot a little bit more. I There are some times where... He'll be the open guy. He's so, and this happens with with great passers sometimes. Is they they make themselves the last read a lot of times. Uh, and Mark is getting more and more comfortable with like, no, I need to take this shot, knock down a mid range jumper to start out the game. He has hit some threes lately, and so that. But what you said about the ability to flow from one action to the next is the thing that really stands out to me, Mike, is the way that we're playing offensively this season with having Mark at the top of the key. Just He's just dotting guys with these passes, too. He's such a threat in that respect that last season, if our first action didn't work, a lot of times it would be like, OK, we're we got to kind of reset and see if LeBron or AD can create something in isolation. Whereas this season, there's a lot more in the way of handoffs you'll notice that guys will cut off of Mark, right? So they'll, you know, pass the ball to to Mark and then they'll cut off of him, you know, cut around him and cut to the basket. And either Mark gives him the ball, gives them the ball cutting to the basket. The defender goes under the screen. Mark gives it to them for the three, or it's going to flow to the other side of the court where that's going to flow into a handoff that way. And if they overplay it on Schroeder, Schroeder's going to get that back door cut. There's so much space, Darius, that, that Mark's really taking advantage of that. I really have enjoyed the two-man game that Mark has had with LeBron. They're both so smart in terms of how to read screen actions. And then LeBron is such a great cutter off of the ball. And a lot of these like backdoor cuts to Braun or when he does cut, he won't clear the entire way. And then he will pinch and then look to seal or, or do a three quarter seal where the pass that's open is the lob over the top. And Gasol's just such, such a great passer. There was a simple play last game where, LeBron sort of got stymied um, with the dribble and Mark was sort of at the top of the key as, as a release valve player and Braun sort of just like, okay, well, we're going to reset, but it's not a hard reset, right? Where, where, okay, like everything clear out. Like I, like I need the ball. I'm going to go one, four here. Instead, he just pitches the ball to Mark. He runs back to get it. Right. So it sort of creates a handoff situation. Bronze guy goes under the screen. Mark is so smart. He just then turns and pivots and then screen walls off both guys. And then Braun takes a wide open three right, right in rhythm and buries it. Those are really quick hitting actions that really only happen because of player positioning. Like, so Mark is used to playing up high. 
JaVale and Dwight were almost always dunker spot guys, and then they would run up to come and set screens. But Mark's positioning on the floor as sort of like his standard where he's going to be at creates different looks for the Lakers that to Mike's point about expanding what the offense can can be, getting used to that is going to take time for guys. And one of the things, Pete, about the LeBron AD pick, pick and roll that I think is also helping is AD's pick and pop game now is so much stronger than what it was last season at this time of the year. AD talked about this, I think, a few games ago, but the idea of Braun is so smart at deciding, oh, did they switch? Did they go under? Did they chase over the top and making that read? And AD is so good at also reciprocating making that read that when they switch, AD is just flowing through or popping out all the way to the three-point line. And if Mark is already above the break, that isolation against a switch for Braun is so much easier now. One of the ways that the Lakers really struggled against the Clippers last year is people were switching that screen against Braun and AD, but Dwight or JaVale was in the dunker spot. And so that driving lane is totally swallowed up by all of those, those extra bodies. And now when LeBron and AD are running that pick and roll and Gasol is in the game, it's an open lane because AD is popping to the three, three point line so often that it's just like, pick your poison, man. Like there's not a great way to stop that stuff. He's also just shooting the, the crap out of the ball, uh, AD. You know, oh my so, goodness! It's just LeBron looking. is too. Yeah, yeah. And the thing that so to move over to the defensive side for a second, I've been a little, I've been trying to figure out if the team, you know, with Gasol, are they better defensively when they're all engaged? Are they like a little bit worse because of the rim protection versus the? And I tend to, I'll tend to say that they're better. So it's hard to tell, to tell with the blocks because the blocks are even six point seven this year, six point seven last year. Part of that is because AD blocked two shots in the first six games. And since then he's blocked a million shots, but uh, he's, he's averaging like four blocks per game over the last five. And so that's brought that up, but then points in the paint, they've actually allowed about three more per game this year. And I think that also is just because they weren't as engaged defensively for the first couple of weeks. And that's going to keep going down. But I think the ceiling for them defensively is actually better um, this year than it was last year with those straight rim protectors, even though I, I kind of say that hesitantly because Dwight off the bench was so good um, with that second unit, and they're not going to have that that same level of protection there. I just think Mark Gasol is a better defensive player than JaVale, and ultimately he's going to be on the court um, a little bit more. But where do you see see these things defensively and sort of paint points allowed and how Mark is contributing on that, I guess? Yeah, I have... I've loved how they've started to uh, really find a defensive identity with Mark out there because the first couple of weeks I was like, oh, Mark looks really bad in drop coverages. And in a way that it's such a common part of what Vogel did last year, I feel like Vogel started and this is this is in character with how he's coached prior to to this season. Um, He started with his base coverages that he ran last year and has adjusted to bring Mark up a little bit in ways where he's not so deep on his drops and then guys just go over the top of him. And that gets Mark into positions where his positional defense is a lot more important. He's stripping guys. And it also, the Lakers perimeter defenders have been especially aggressive. And Mark is the, the area where Mark is really fast is mentally. And so if you get the Lakers into rotation, that's been one thing that I've been really impressed by is Mark's ability to rotate and to understand what's about to happen next. And those types of guys, when they have that anticipation, Darius, even if they're not the most fleet of foot, they are already starting in that direction a half second before anybody else's. So at his size, if you're mentally fast as well, all of a sudden it's a great closeout, even though JaVale might not make that same closeout, probably doesn't make that same closeout, even though he's got more athletic gifts. And so I've seen the Lakers really taking advantage of their ability to scramble and that we've seen that reflected in the amount of steals that we've gotten and even block shots. I think that that 
that defensive identity is starting to to build around being able to swarm. And I love seeing that because that was the thing that I, one of my favorite parts of last season's team. And it was so, so great to see that starting to, to emerge. So a couple of points, Mark talked about the idea of anticipation, I think a couple of weeks ago in one of his media availabilities. And he basically said like, it takes time for me and it's going to take time for me to learn not only not only the scheme right he's obviously a super smart player but his teammates and the types of plays that they're going to make and reading off of them and him sort of speaking to the idea of i'm not the same caliber of athlete as all of these guys who surround me and that means anticipating their movements and in order for me to then be in the right position I need to be in because I need to move early is trickier and learning my guys is going to help me be better basically and we've seen that since then he's progressively gotten better and better at being in the right place to speak to Mike's point or question about what their ceiling is defensively um I think that their ceiling is probably about the same as what it was last year. I just think they're going to get there differently than last year. Um, Frank had some really good comments about how he hasn't changed so much defensively in terms of scheme that really it's about principles and that he's like, we have, we have a few foundational principles that we want to have defensively. And one of them is keeping a body between the player with the ball and the rim. And so rim protecting is going to come in a variety of ways. It's not always going to come in block shots. Some of that is just being in the right position in order to challenge a shot and force a miss. And whether that's Trez taking a charge, whether it's Marcus Gasol just standing there with his hands up like he did against Harden a couple times or Christian Wood and just like, oh, maybe that was a block shot last year from Dwight or JaVale, but this year it's just one of those balls that rolls off the side of the rim because you still got the shot up, but it's you're shooting it over a massive human being this time who is just has his hands straight up in the air. So... And then the ranginess to me is where things are going to look different. It's Schroeder really attacking at the point of attack with quickness rather than more power that Avery Bradley had. It's Montrez Harrell like with his ranginess as sort of a, a four or five hybrid guy who is closing out differently or really swallowing up um, isolation players that, in in ways that Dwight or JaVale just wouldn't, right? It's Kuzma who has more wheels to him than a Danny Green, right? In order to, to really stay with guys and, and, and get around the floor differently. And so the activity and and the quickness in which the way some of the new Lakers are moving around the floor just doesn't resemble last year's team. And I think that lack of resemblance probably impacted how we looked at how their what their defense was capable of especially early in the season when some of the communication breakdowns and some of the lack of defensive attentiveness played out in ways where it's just like holy shit another layup at the rim or also too how their turnovers offensively were leading to like points in the paint mike like you brought up a great point points in the paint stat but as the lakers start to take care of the ball more and don't give up as many transition layups the other direction because they're being more careful that's going to help with that stuff too so i know i made a lot of points there but it's like i think that they can be as good or maybe even a little bit better than last year it's it's just going to look different than what we're used to my impression of how of what our ceiling is defensively is I'm a lot more optimistic about it than I was a week and a half ago as AD started to turn things up after that San Antonio game. And the thing about that, so last season's Lakers team is one of the best defensive teams I've ever seen. It's probably the best defensive Lakers defensive team. And so to get to that point, that's that's a high praise and i'm not ready to give that to this team yet even the the ceiling but we're so much better on offense that even if we're anywhere close to that type of defensive ceiling uh we, we've really got uh 
in in great position so yeah lakers flex their their muscles against the rockets over a couple games got a game uh tonight against okc mike's absolutely right gonna have to compete to get a, a w there and hopefully move to seven and oh on the road uh we'll be back for another episode on friday but until then been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Ains has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front. Broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.